Remember last week we talked about whenever you plant a garden, what you have to do is you have to weed out um, the bad stuff, right? Because the bad stuff, what it's going to do is choke out the good stuff. The things that you actually planted there, uh, you want to make sure that you keep those things alive. And so what you have to do is weed out the weeds, keep the weeds out. And uh, that's one of the things that we talked about last week. So this is, this is the, really the point of us going through here is uh, we want to weed the tulip garden. Uh, so if you're not familiar with the tulip, um, the tulip is the, the basis or the five points of, of, of Calvinism. And technically, if you wanted to say it's not really five points, there's, there's more than five, but those are the main ones that, uh, that they fall, uh, fall under. So, you know, you, you've got, you got some things to go along with that. So you got to make sure we keep those things, um, in, in mind. Now, where in the world... I need to keep, I guess, I was going to try and see if I can keep that screen on, but I can't find it right now. So anyway, um, so what we're going to do with those five points of Calvinism, we've already talked about Calvinism, Arminianism, dispensationalism years ago when we were at the second location of um, Serve Pro, huh? Yeah, and... Uh, so that was the second serve pro uh, location that we that we were uh, meeting in, and uh, we talked about that. So that's one of those things as you go through. Uh, we we've already dealt with that. So what I thought would be kind of neat is let's let's take a look at um, a better tulip, right? So let's get out the junk and and do some other things. So we've talked about uh, total forgiveness, right? And it's amazing when you think about the fact that you have right now is a present possession, total and complete forgiveness of sins. That's just, it's amazing. Um, and the way that that's possible is through the unconditional love that we talked about last week, right? The love that Christ showed to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? He died for the ungodly. He died for his enemies. He went to the cross to pay the price that we cannot pay. And it's not that he did it to get something back from us. Um, he did it out of his unconditional love. And so what happens is, is now that you're in Christ, there's some things that we have. So today we're going to take a look at the L. Um, which has to do with life in Christ. So life in Christ Jesus. So let's go real quick to Romans chapter 6. So let's 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 lay the basis here real quick for us. Uh, there are some things that we hopefully do know. Uh, we've gone we've already gone through uh, Rome, the book of Romans, uh, and one of the things that we found out is in Romans chapter 1 through 5, uh, you've got the issue of your justification. The fact that God takes sinful men and makes them and changes them and, and puts them into a position as a saint of the Most High God. And the way He does that is through imputing righteousness to those that believe, 
right? It's not something that he chooses certain people to put it on and things like that. He chooses to put it or to give that and impute it to whomever believes. So that that issue of your justification, the fact that you have been declared righteous before an all-righteous God. We've talked about the fact that there is a there is a mark that God says, here's, here's the standard that I want you to be able to meet. And then we're told in chapters 1, 2, and 3 that you can't meet it, right? In fact, we're told that all have come short of the glory of God. But He's given us the ability to have His righteousness imputed to us uh, the moment that we believe. And then we get to Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. And you've got the issue of uh, our sanctification. The fact that God is setting us apart from the rest of the world and how he's going to go about doing that. And then you've got the, the, the chapters of 9 through 11 where God lays out uh, the dispensational issues. Where he's saying, well, what about Israel? Well, what about Israel? Let's take a look at that. <clears throat> One of the things that I find very interesting, uh, this, Thursday, this past Thursday night, I was watching our TV program to make sure that they played the right one. And then after our program, and we did this on purpose, uh, we have our TV program coming on in front of the Big Baptist Church in town. And so I was watching, I was watching there their video uh just because it came on afterwards and uh delilah was out and then when she came back i was like you need to see this <laughs> she's like is it bad i was like no uh it's actually kind of good so on on this video on their on their video their tv program their pastor says He's going through the book of Luke, right? And he's talking about the burial of Jesus Christ at this particular time. So then he says, let's go look at the gospel. And he says, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm like, okay. Because I've never heard him preach that before. He said, the gospel isn't taking food to people that are sick and hungry. Gospel isn't giving water to people that are, are, are thirsty. And I'm like, that's not what you've ever preached before. But he says, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. And of course, they've got the ESV, so it's got the being saved, so that's all a mess. But that's the first time that I've ever heard this guy go there. Now, that wouldn't mean much except in the context of the fact that he continues on talking and he says, you know, some people teach that God has a plan B that Jesus went to the nation of Israel and was rejected, and then God did something different. And I said, okay. So what that tells me, and I told Delilah, I said, this is why it's interesting to me. The big multi-million dollar church has paid attention to eight people. Now you think about that. People are watching what we're putting out and he takes a dig at us. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But here's the thing. So what was he, what was he worried about? Here's, here's the issue. Are you ever going to find anything out about this Bible if you don't know and understand it dispensationally? And the ESV don't 
and the ESV doesn't have it in there, so you're not going to be able to talk about it. Right. right? So here's the thing. When we look at that, and he says, well, you know, some people teach that God has a plan B. What have we always talked about? It's not plan B. It's not plan B. It's plan A. In fact, what Paul does is takes us prior to Adam being created back in before the eternity past where God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit come together and they decide they're going to do something to reconcile the heaven and the earth to himself. And it's not plan B. The whole thing is plan A. The only problem is, is this part of plan A was kept secret, kept hidden God from before the foundation of the world until it was revealed to and through the Apostle Paul. And if you don't know and understand Romans 9 through 11, you don't know your Bible. You're never going to understand it. If you don't understand dispensational Bible teaching, you're never going to understand that. So that's the reason I bring that up. Uh, and then you got 12 through 16. What do we have there? That is the, the life application of everything that came before it. And the real issue there, and we talked about this before, is service. The way that we can, and we've talked about this before, people get saved and they say, what, do I, what, what can I do? And what churches do is they put them in service and say, well, go teach Sunday school. All right, so you've got somebody that doesn't understand anything that comes before it to try and get them to go serve. Well, you know, once you start a, a Bible study group in your home, so go serve before you know anything. That doesn't make sense. And a lot of people are trying to apply things and they have no idea what they're trying to apply. So really the big issue that I want us to see here is the life that we have in Christ Jesus is this issue right here, that sanctification. And the problem starts in Romans chapter 6. So let's go to Romans chapter 6. All that was introduction. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. We're grateful that you've revealed your will, that you've inspired your word, that you've preserved that word, and through that word that you've preserved, you illuminate and teach us what your scriptures actually say. And it's just by simple faith, believing the words on the page, that we can come to a greater knowledge and understanding of your word, that we may be to the praise and honor and glory of your word and of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So when we take a look at this issue, here's one of the things that we, we run into a lot of times. And we talked about this before. Romans chapter 1, 1 through 5 deals with what? The wrath of God and the fact that he demands perfection or perfect righteousness. 
And then he also goes on to tell us in Romans chapters 1 through 5 that you can have justification by faith alone through, or by grace alone through faith alone. Right? That's the issue. When, when Martin Luther came to Romans chapter 4 and he understood that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, and he went and created the 95 theses and nailed them up on the church doors for the Catholics to come by and find and, and, and find out what's going on. Do you realize the reason that people in Catholic churches do not know their Bible is the same reason that people in Christian churches in the United States don't know their Bible because the people who are in charge are hiding it from them. Do you know how they hide it? Do they, do they keep it in a different language so that they're the only ones that can interpret it for you? Not really. What do they do? They take it and they give you a false version of the real thing and say, here's God's Word. And it's not. And then what they'll do is they'll stand up there and they'll say, well, this verse should be rendered this way because in the Greek it says, All right, you've got an English Bible, the King James Bible, been preserved for, for your understanding. Get in that book and find out what it says. That's all you got to do. And when you do, when you come to things like this, Romans chapter 6, we talked about this a minute ago, the, the propitiation that God sets forth there in the first five chapters of, of Romans where God sets forth and says, I'm going to provide you with the perfect righteousness that I demand, and I'm going to give it to you by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at Calvary. When it's His blood that gives us that, right? And so what God does is through His wisdom, He provides eternal life through imputation of His righteousness. Now, one of the things that you're starting to find out about folks, John Verstegen had a really great quote, and I, I shared the video and posted up a, like a section of, of, of that video the other day. Here's what it comes down to. Let the Word of God do the work of God. That's all you got to do. That's what it comes down to. That's all it comes down to is let the Word of God do the work of God. And if you find out about what God's doing, do we actually believe it or not? And so I got to thinking, how many people today think that they can lose their salvation... And the reason they think they can lose it is because they think they did something to get it to begin with. And you can't. So then what happens is, is once you do get saved and you come to the understanding and you, you get some of this stuff with sanctification, what you look at is you say, well, look at these things in life and something must be going wrong in my life. Otherwise, I wouldn't be going through it. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the second hour or second 45 minutes, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, but that's the issue. Those that do know that they're saved by grace through faith alone, but then there's some that also think, well, i got to keep that salvation by doing something. 
I have to be able to do something in order to keep it. I didn't do anything to get it, but I do have to do something in order to keep it. And what happens is, is we're going through, you know, the issues that we're going through in life today. And people are like, well, you know, I just can't trust the Bible. All right. So then you were trying to do it in your own power to begin with. But here's the issue. The way that we are to live our life today is the life that we have where? In Christ Jesus. And that's one reason why I want us to make sure that we see this. This is the basis of our victory that we have in this life. Let's take a look at a few things. Romans chapter 6, we're free from the we're free from sin. Romans chapter 7, we're free from the law. Romans chapter 8, we're free from the flesh. We don't have to sin anymore. We carry around this sin body, and we're going to do things, but it's not because it's because we have this sin that we're carrying around, right? In this flesh. It's going to want to do things. So we've talked about and we've drawn the three circles, right? Spirit, soul, and body, and how all that stuff works. But what we come to is in Romans chapter 6 here, <clears throat> verse 1, he starts off and he's talking about the things based off of chapter 5. And in chapter 5, you find out that you have the gift of righteousness. Go up to chapter 5, verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace, notice, and of the gift of righteousness shall reign where? In the future? In life. So is he talking about reigning out in the future in this verse? No, he's talking about reigning in life right now. Now, that's not the, you go downtown, you got a guy that says, God wants you to reign in your finances and your, your cars and your money and all that, all that stuff. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about reigning right now because of what? We have a victory now that we can celebrate because we know it's out there. And we can take our, we, we talked about it before in uh, Kim Harris. Uh, she messaged me. She said, we, we finally figured out what the P word that you were looking for the other day. Uh, so you've got what? Uh, you're standing in your state, right? We've talked about those. But you also have what? Your practice, which is the P I couldn't think of. Um, and then your, now I lost the other one. Your position. Position. There we go. There's always one that I forget. She, she messaged me the other night. She said, we, kinda, we finally figured out what it was. So you've got your position and your practice, right? Position is who you are in Christ. Your practice is how are you going to make that alive in your life today? That's this application stuff down here. Now, making it active in your life down here means we need to know what this stuff up here is all about. And we've said this before. You can't, we can't expect to live Romans 12 if we don't understand Romans 6. Does that make sense? We can't, we can't live Romans 13 if we don't know Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. We just can't. 
And we needed to realize that. And we need to, you know, you get to Romans chapter 14, he starts talking about that weaker brother, stronger brother. You know, the toughest thing to do in that situation is to admit that we're the weaker brother. <laughs> yeah, and it's called being humble. It's a, there's, there's meekness involved in that. And understanding there are times where we are actually the weaker brother. And it's hard for us to understand that and deal with it. Why? Because we're prideful. There is absolutely no, you know, this is one of the things that I have to tell my kids all the time. There is no shame in being the weaker person. In fact, in the next hour, when we talk about struggle, strife, and life, the issue there is what? Admitting that you're weak and knowing that you've got strength. Where? In Christ Jesus. So the life that we have now is found in Christ Jesus, and it starts off here. So he says, based on all these things in Romans chapter 5, we get down to verse um, 21. He says, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by, by, by Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to think about this. And, you know, these, these messages... The first, the first 45 and the second 45, they're going together so much, and it's not, it wasn't on purpose, but it's just, it's, it is what it is, right? It's how God's Word works. I kind of hate that phrase, it is what it is, but I use it a lot. So here's the issue. When you look at that, he says, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Christ Jesus, by Jesus Christ our Lord. What grace is that? Romans chapter 5, verse 2. By whom, it's talking about Christ, also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. All right? So we've talked about it before. You're standing. Who are you in Christ? Your state. What is your standing going to do with your life? The grace that you have, where you stand, by faith you bring that into your state and you can actually reign in this life no matter what because you have His life in you. And it's the same thing with position and practice. Right? The position, who we are in Christ, what does that look like in our life? And that's the issue there. And what's Paul say in Romans chapter 6, verse 1? What shall we say then? Because we've got all this and we know that, that, that sin reigned unto death and grace is much more, is going to much more abound, does that mean we just go and sin so that, so that grace can abound? The answer is no. Right? And that's what he says. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God's response to that is, God forbid. Don't let it be named among you that you go sin so that grace would abound. But here's the issue. He says, how shall we... Alright, so look at this. How shall we that are what? Dead to sin. Do we know that we are dead to sin? Or do we just say, yeah, I know, I'm dead to sin. Or do we know it? So here's the issue. You know, we've got the three circles. We've talked about those. Spirit, soul, and body. 
right? And so what happens is <clears throat> we, we've talked about the fact that uh, our spirit is dead, right? Our soul is darkened. And our body is depraved. Which just means the fact that there is nothing that your body that you can do physically in your body to gain favor with God. It's not the the total inability to do anything like the 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 other the the bad tulip is but but here here's there are some things that's taking place and looking at this clock we're probably going to have to have life in Christ part 2 to this to this L but uh there are some things that take place here the moment that we get saved our spirit is quickened we talked about that last week right the fact that it's made alive um, the soul is given light. And what happens to the body? The body is now able to what? Produce fruit. Where it couldn't do anything before, now the body can produce fruit. So, keeping up with the theme of gardening, what happens when you have bad soil... You're not going to get any fruit. Or it's not going to be as good. But what happens is, is what can you do? You can work with the soil, fertilize it, do things, put different types of stuff in it, and it can actually produce fruit. But it won't if you don't fertilize it. But it won't if you don't fertilize it. But here's the thing. Here we know things. Right? And we see this all the time. Our soul is where we reckon it to be true and our flesh is where we believe it that's where we yield that's the big issue we can know things we can say yeah that's true for me but by faith and Paul says it here in Romans chapter 6 and we see these we see these same things, right? <clears throat> Notice uh, verse three. Know ye not, right? No, right? Uh, drop down to verse eleven. Romans chapter six, verse eleven. Likewise, reckon ye also. That's the reckon, right? And then you keep on going. Notice in verse thirteen. He says, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. So you see that? Mm -hmm. No, reckon, yield. It's right here in Romans chapter 6. The problem is, is how many of us know, but have not reckoned or yielded? How many of us know and reckon, but have not yielded? Delilah and I have talked about this. And I guess this is more for the next session, but I don't know about you all, and this isn't like a, you know, look at us type thing. Since March, I've grown a greater appreciation for this Bible. I have grown a period in my spiritual life. Yeah, and that's, that's what I'm saying. So we, you know, 
I feel like I have grown. I've grown to care more about what this Bible actually says. Um, and so then that, that brings up the question, what do we do when life comes around and gives you junk? Right? Well, what do we know? We have life in Christ. So what we have to do is take what we know, reckon it be true for ourselves, and then go and do something with it. Now that can take on all kinds of different forms. But here's the issue. Why is it that so many people mess up the baptism here? Because that's what that's what that church was doing. Should I be shocked that 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 Baptist church can't figure out Romans 9, 10, and 11 about the dispensational truths because they've messed up Romans chapter 6 and they can't get there? Right? So if you mess up Romans chapter 6, which is what a lot of them do, notice in verse 3 it says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ? Question. Every little Baptist church, and it's not just Baptist, but every church that has a baptistry, we'll put it that way, are all those little pockets, those little baptistries, are all those little Jesus Christ's in all those little churches? Is that what that little thing of water is? Okay. That verse doesn't say, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into the water? What are we being baptized into here? not water. We're being baptized into Jesus Christ. We are being identified with Jesus Christ, so much so that he says, notice, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. So if we know and understand that baptism has to do with identification, not immersion, and what people do is they go to the Greek and say, well, it's, it's baptismos or, you know, baptism. Okay. You've got people in your, in your pews that speak English, tell them what the English says. And you find out right here, it's not water. It's not, not to be immersed into it. It's to be identified with it. All throughout Scripture, it's identification. The water baptism that Jesus Christ took part in, what was that for? It identified him with what? His office as a prophet, priest, and a king. It allowed him the opportunity to be that. It, he identified himself with who? The believing remnant. You go back in Mo. Who is immersed in the Red Sea? The Egyptians, right? Pharaoh and his army. They were the ones that were immersed. What happened to them? They died. They died. Right? So when you think about this, the issue here, the life that we have in Christ is because we are completely and totally identified with Him, not just with Him, but notice, we're baptized into His death. Don't you know that? Don't we know that? We do, right? He says, therefore we are buried with Him by baptism. That word therefore, do you know what therefore means? All right. No. It's going to be further 
explanation. All right. Based on what was just said. So here, here, think about this. Therefore, in logic, is saying, since this is true, then this follows. Here's the conclusion. Here's what's going to happen from it, right? So it's taking that information saying, well, here's this, and here's, some, here's what we can find out about that. Notice, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's the conclusion of the fact that we've been baptized into Jesus Christ. Notice verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. By the way, that word planted there, I didn't, that, wasn't, that wasn't on purpose, but that works pretty good with the, with the garden, right? For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. Have we been planted in the likeness of his death? If you are saved, then yes. We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. There you go. What do we know about Romans chapter 6? We're freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, are we dead with Christ? Yes. Yes. If we're saved, we believe that we shall also live with him. <clears throat> knowing, again, here's this word knowing, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So I want you to think about that for a second. Death has to deal with what? Separation. If we're dead with Christ, are we ever going to die again? No. No. Now, I'm not talking about the physical death where we're separated from this body which sometimes we think, and it'd be nice if that happened sooner than later, right? We can talk about that in the Struggle, Strife, and Life series, but what's the issue here? He says, we know some things. Verse 11, he says, reckon some things. Verse 13, he says, now go yield some stuff. He says, don't yield certain things, but I want you to yield other things. Notice in verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. I want you to think about that for a second. Do you know what that means, folks? We have a choice. Real quick, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to finish here. Um, and we've got a whole bunch of stuff on this. So we will do a part two to this one. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter two. <clears throat> so with that, with that in Romans chapter six, what we just got through talking about was what? 
Don't yield your members as 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 uh, don't yield your members as instruments of righteousness, but what? Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. Do you know what that means? We need to know what it means to be alive from the dead. Notice this, second second Timothy chapter two, <clears throat> verse twenty three. Paul's talking to Timothy about how to deal with 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 life. And with folks that's that's coming and in, in, in creating problems. Notice in verse twenty three, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. In meekness instructing those, notice, that oppose themselves. Do you know what happens? I know I'm dead to sin. I reckon it to be true, but I don't yield it in my life. Do you know what you're doing? You're opposing yourself. You're opposing who you are. If we know it but don't reckon it, do you know what we're doing? We're opposing ourselves. We're, we're opposing who God has made us. That's why he says over in Romans chapter 6, look at it again. We're going a little over time on this one today, but that's okay. Romans chapter 6, verse 13, notice. Neither yield your members as instruments of, of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. How? How are, how are we to yield ourselves unto God, Paul? As those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We're what? Alive from the dead. Live like it. How? Life in Christ Jesus. That's how. Don't oppose who we are. Don't oppose who God's made us in the Son. But what? Know it. Reckon it to be true for yourself and yield your members. believe the verses on the page let the word of god do the work of god i love that frank had brought that up last monday night and i was like all right i gotta go find this video and when i found the video just going through it how is it that god's going to work in the life of the believer when they actually what believe the verses all right <clears throat> Let the Word of God do the work of God. Just get out of His way. Believe the verses on the page. And if we, if we don't see it working in our lives, maybe it's because we're trying to do this on our own. And I honestly, I don't know about you all, but I'm getting tired of trying to do it on my own. <laughs> Just rest in Him. That's all we got to do. Because his word will not return void. Because of the verse we had last week, the word of God will not return void. It will accomplish what he set it out to do. Yeah. It's the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. All right. Praise the Lord.